Hello, space nerds. Welcome to Raktagino and Root Beer, a Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm Matthew. And I'm Michael. On this podcast, we are reviewing every Deep Space Nine episode from the pilot to the finale. It'll be so exciting, it's going to give you umox. Pull up a chair and join in the discussion over some Raktagino and Root Beer. If you would like to contact us, set hailing frequencies to rrds9podcast at gmail.com. Today on the show, we are going to review the entire show. We're going to give you some of our ideas and uh, thoughts about uh, the entire show now that we've seen it all. And uh, Michael's going to ask some questions. I'm going to ask a few questions of Michael. And then we're going to play a little bit of trivia to see if we actually learn anything after uh, <laughs> watching all these episodes. Not likely. Maybe we've completely <laughs> forgotten what happened in season one. Maybe we haven't. Mm. So, Michael, I'll start you off. Yeah. Do you have any uh, questions that you have been percolating in your brain about this show? Well, I I mean, this was the first time I had seen Deep Space Nine, yeah. every episode. For you, it was a chance to rewatch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what surprised you the most, watching it a second time? What surprised me the most? I think there was... Uh, some episodes that I think were of stronger quality than I thought originally when I was going to do this podcast with you. In fact, when you asked me to do this podcast, I was like, what a crazy idea. Why do this? (laughs) (laughs) And then I said yes. But there were some, some very strong episodes. I think I mentioned in the previous episode, I found that I liked Kira as a character a lot more mm-hmm. this time around than I had previously. Yeah. And... Well, wait, wait, like, that's interesting to me. Why did you like her now? And, like, what was it that you did not like about her in the, the first time you saw this show? I think, well, I... The first time I watched it, I really identified with Dax. Mm-hmm. And re-watching it, I realized that Dax did nothing for the first two or three seasons. And I realized that I probably just liked her because she was a perfect character. And, you know, when you're younger, you kind of like these bland, perfect characters because you are looking at them as kind of aspirational. You know, Mm. that's like, oh, who I'd like to be is this bland, perfect thing. Whereas now, as an older person, I see that someone like Kira is more like a regular human being. I mean, she's Bajoran, but she's more like a regular human Mm. character in that she has a lot of, she has particular things that she stands for and she's not a very perfect person, but she's a very passionate person. Mm. And that's more like a kind of person I like to be as someone who is not necessarily always right, but someone who believes in what they believe in and, and, and has had a history that kind of informs why they make the decisions that they do. Yeah. How about you? What are, um, what are some things that you were surprised by? Or... Well, so when I remember being a kid, uh, being a kid, because I'm a, as you know, I'm very young. Yeah, you're very young. <laughs> but we, we, if, if you let's let's yeah. not talk about my age. But... Yeah, for all of the for all of you who don't know what Michael looks like, you know that last. Scene... I'm a young virile man, obviously. Yeah, you know that last scene in Raiders of the Ark where they open up the ark and then they all start melting. <laughs> Michael looks like the midway scene. In the... <laughs> yeah. Basically a half-melted... Yeah. <laughs> half-melted it's Nazi. amazing I can still speak. It's yeah. incredible. So w- when I was uh, whatever age I was, let's say in the 90s, I, yeah. I uh, had loved Star Trek TNG. Yeah. Um, I 
I had uh, Voyager ahead of me. I had grown up watching the classic Star Trek uh, rerun, reruns on television. My parents loved, yeah. loved that show as well. I'd seen the movies. Uh, so I was I was pretty excited about Deep Space Nine. But then just I couldn't get past the fact that they didn't go anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had a friend whose parents dismissively described it as, um, what was it? Uh, as the space station turns. Like they, yeah. in other words, it's just a soap opera. It's just plots, yeah. and they don't go anywhere. Um, and that's how that's how I kind of left the show. I was like, forget yeah. this. Voyager came on, and I started watching Star Trek again. Um, and then the other thing I heard about was the religion. That this was the first Star Trek show to seriously uh, look at religion. Yeah. Uh, so those those two things were in my mind. What really surprised me was that this is the Star Trek show that has more aliens than any other show. Yeah. And it was a real outsider look at the Federation. And the mm. Ferengi plays such a huge role in this. Yeah. And, like, that surprised me. And I and, and, and also the fact that you have a black captain. Yeah. Which you cannot emphasize enough. Like, that's yeah. pretty amazing. So, to me, those things are way more a major part of the show than than just seeing it as this plot that they don't go anywhere. I yeah. Mean, and and also I don't see and I don't see the fact that they don't go anywhere as a hindrance. I see it as an advantage where they limit themselves and they and then they just take a long look at yeah. at Bajor about about being on the fringes of Federation space. I mean, about being this frontier town. And you know, as the when the show in the first few episodes of the show, that's what it was all about. Very emphasized. In, yeah, uh, the first and episode. I and I think that that was real stro uh, strong suit of the show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think, you know, rewatching it, seeing how they position the Federation as not a perfect um, uh, entity, you know, I think that has probably presaged some of the stuff they've done on, yeah. on, you know, in the later uh, seasons, like Enterprise as well. I think they were kind of, they're, you know, they're showing the gritty beginnings of the Federation. Mm -hmm. They're showing the kind of underbelly of it. And then now with the new Star Trek that it's like so dark and, mm -hmm. you know, I almost feel like it's gone too, too far in the other direction. Yeah. But to, it, it was a good, I think it's a good idea to show a kind of a more richer idea about what the Federation is than yeah. just this idealized world. To me, know? to me, that's what's truly subversive about this show, that they took Gene Roddenberry's original idea and they just took a very critical idea, a critical look at the actual foundations of what Starfleet is and what the yeah. Federation is, which I think DS9 does really well. The religion stuff... I don't find that groundbreaking. I don't find that interesting. Star yeah. Trek has tackled religion before. There's the movie with, where they basically find God. You the, know, the worst movie. The worst of the movies. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's some pretty terrible. It's movies. not a very good movie, but they do find God. They and, find God, but it's not actually God. It's some crazy no. entity. Yeah, and they like logic. They argue their way out of it, and yeah. But but to me, yeah, the the idea where you have. Uh, the idea of you take a Ferengi, which was never supposed to be like it's such a cartoonish yeah. character of of capitalism and consumerism and what and greed, and you take a character like that and you turn it, you flesh out that universe, you flesh it out, and then you make them a critical idea, uh, a critical uh, observer of the Federation. Mm -hmm. I, I thought was really well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah just that idea that. Uh, 
you know, that the Federation is almost a paradise and therefore, and Earth particularly is a paradise and therefore it has a great difficulty understanding the realities of the, mm. the rest of the universe. And I thought that was really interesting and handled uh, and handled more richly than I than I remembered it being. And, and yeah, and I think it was... It tried to do the continuous storylines. It wasn't always successful, as we noted. It, I, I think we'll get into this a little bit. The mm -hmm. seventh season wasn't as strong as the sixth season was kind of anticipating it to be. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, uh, like I, like I had all. I mean, reading up on the on DS Nine when yeah. we were about to do this podcast, I heard. Some people saying the last three seasons are the strongest of all of any Star Trek series, yeah. and the last season is amazing. Blah blah blah, and and hearing about how they serialized it, you know. But as we saw, there were a couple kind of dud episodes there. Not duds, like they're they're decent, but they're yeah. they're not mind blowingly good. Yeah, and they and basically they didn't have to be part of that serialization, you know. Yeah. Um, but but. I mean, it was ground. It was groundbreaking. Yeah. I don't want to take it away from them. Yeah, because the original idea for Star Trek was they wanted to create an episodic format that was easily syndicated so that it could be mm -hmm. aired in whatever order and it wouldn't confuse the audience. Yeah, and so it's this old model of of TV. This very like 60s 70s model of tv mm -hmm. where uh you sell a concept and each episode in that concept is basically like anyone could watch it at any point yeah and the universe never changes and the characters never change and if they do it's almost like they're replaced one by one like mm -hmm. you know um uh bewitched when the one darren is replaced by another darren and like the 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 audience is not even supposed to notice that there's any difference, right? Mm -hmm. And so they were trying to move into this other direction of, of a more episodic story, or sorry, not episodic, more continuous storyline. And they were on their way there. You know, I watched Babylon 5 at the same time, and I think Babylon 5 was more successful in yeah. kind of continuous storyline than this. It's uh, funny, at, at the time in the 90s, I had friends who were... Uh obsessed with Babylon 5. Yeah. I love that show. And for th for the reason why why that it was uh, serialized. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and it was a little bit more mythic. You know, some people argue, you know, the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek is that Star Wars is like a mythic, you know, universe whereas mm -hmm. Star Trek is much more of an idealized um like it's a as Star Wars says, it's it's from the past. It's not of the future. Yeah. And so it's kind of a mythical, kind of almost fairy tale story. And Star Trek yeah. is supposed to be kind of a socialized utopian future. And that's yeah, kind of the yeah, major yeah. difference between the two. Yeah. And Babylon 5 was kind of doing a similar sort of thing. It was like a mythical, uh, you know, it wasn't utopian. It wasn't about how wonderful the, the future is. It was instead about like good and evil fighting it out mm. um for the end of time you know that sort of thing that the utopian idea which i th again i think is very subversive in ds9 where you have someone somebody like quark poking holes into the idea of the federation yeah. this sort of enlightened human race as quark says 
I may be a capitalist, but you know we've never waged war on anyone. Yeah, um, we've never had a period of time where where we had nuclear war or, or anything like that. Or committed genocide or yeah. whatever. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, today, earlier today, um, I was actually watching a classic Star Trek uh, original series episode, uh, Spock's Brain, where where Spock's brain gets stolen. Yeah, yeah. I think some people consider it kind of a notorious episode. You yeah, know, it's whereas, pretty silly. Yeah, but it has so much charm to it, right? It has yeah. all these science fiction mysteries that they're trying to solve. Like, it's actually a really lovely, enjoyable episode. Yeah. And... and and the characters are so great. The, the relationship between Kirk, Spock, McCoy, uh, and Scotty is really well done, which I think DS9 does well. But it still has that Gene Roddenberry, like, we are perfect human beings and we're on a planet where something's gone wrong with this with this society. Yeah. And we can think through this and solve this problem. Yeah. Because in that episode, it's like there was this incredibly advanced civilization and basically they stored all their knowledge into a computer yeah and this is and all the women live below the surface the surface is very cold and all the men are like basically barbarians living on on the top like it's like it's so weird it's such a classic star trek episode like it's very silly but very charming and very like like in our new utopian society we can bring our enlightenment to this planet and and work through this and yeah and like it's it was interesting to me to watch it and and think about how ds9 still has that central idea of like these these science fiction mysteries the starfleet going out solving everyone's problems uh and these really great characters and the relationships between them uh and how ds9 again just kind of makes it a little little bit more gray you know yeah Um, well i mean and we should always remember that the original star trek was created in a period of you know post-war optimism there was this feeling that there have been all these wars and they've been driven by kind of unreason and irrationality Mm -hmm. and that what need what was going to save us was a focus on science and um, these universal ideals about how everyone is equal and so on and so forth and married to, yeah, married to science. And this would somehow solve all of our problems mm. that these, this mixture would be beautiful and wonderful and make the world better. Yeah. And, and, and I think in the sixties it was, uh, it was reasonable to think that cause the, the war was only two decades before mm-hmm. and the war was so awful. And now, like in the Deep Space Nine and moving into our time, there's such a, there's so much more distrust of government and of oh, yeah. any real, like any solution that's being created by an authority figure. Um, that is a big part. And it started in the 90s, mm-hmm. this anxiety about authority figures. The X-Files was about it as well, you know. And and then that's just getting, gotten worse and worse. And now, you know, Star Trek, um, the new Star Trek is just basically anti everything that Gene Roddenberry stood for mm. and basically is implying that the Federation is just a sham and, and, and not as noble and heroic as it originally um, presented mm. itself to be. And this is, I mean, this is, this seems to be a lot what many people feel nowadays. That and, and, and in DS9, you have section 30, 31, yeah. 31, where, where you basically say at the very 
core of the Federation's creation, you cre- parallel to that, you created this yeah. uh, um, black ops organization that did all the dirty work. Yeah. Um, like, it's, yeah. So it's, it's like, it's almost like the kernel of what we're experiencing now, but I think they handled it better. It was, you know, you can still feel the idealized spirit, which is what, dra- hopefully, I mean, that's what draws me to Star Trek is the idealized spirit, the idea that we can solve our problems with rationality mm. and, and a focus on universal ideals and, and, and working together. But it almost feels like now there's so much distrust of these ideals. And I'm, gl- I'm glad we're talking about this because I wanted to ask you this. Um, so Cisco is a captain. Yeah. You've got Captain Kirk, who, ladies' man, but he's a very rational person and he, and he brings the the principles of the federation out into the universe and is he, he rational he is and i will argue <laughs> i will he's constantly a, argue this point he thinks his way through most problems and he's a diplomat right i think what he is is he's the, until he has to punch people yeah i know he's the marriage between spock's logic and uh, yeah. brain, uh, brain <laughs> bones uh kind of gut feeling right you know? right like he bones just he acts on gut. gut instinct a lot too but. yeah so he's supposed to be like the marriage between the two the kind of the one that yeah marries them effectively at the end of the day though i would say that he represents an idealistic view of a of a person able to think through problems and represent a, a higher ideal right yeah, uh, and and Captain Kirk takes that to an absurd degree, where he is this incredible cerebral uh, philosopher king. You know, <laughs> oh Picard. Yeah, Picard. You Did I Kirk. say sorry? Said... Not Kirk. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Picard's the philosopher king, right? Yeah. Uh, and then you have Cisco, and I like. What do you think about Cisco in in what? that in that lineage? Like, what what does he? Represent and how is he different from the other two? Well, sadly, originally at the beginning, they were positioning him as the the more aggressive captain, which oh, yeah. I was he like, he did punch people. Yeah, he punched yeah. Q. Remember? Yeah, and that was like that was an unfortunate piece of uh, uh, characterization that they included. No, I think that what it eventually realized, or what the story eventually kind of uh, realized, that he was the father uh, figure. You know, he is a father and husband and and family man kind of captain. The Mm. one who uh, is integrated into his crew, not as uh, just a random authority figure or Mm. a philosopher king sitting on his mountain dispensing ideas, but as someone who's united united with them through bonds of family and through religion. Yeah. And and that is where his authority comes from. And I think, yeah, I think that's very well said. I think he really is a father. And I think this, like, the really strong moments with his character were were always with him and Jake as well, when they just drive that point home. Yeah. And with the other characters, too, where he, he is clearly, you know, um, I think Janeway was an integral part of her crew, but she always had that reserve, right? She was always like a little bit... um, Removed. Removed. Yeah. I mean, the person that she was most connected to was probably Seven of Nine and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, um, maybe Chakotay. But she was always a little bit removed, whereas Cisco never felt like he had to have that remove, like he was close to them. Um, it was just that his authority came from them 
mm. appreciating him, I guess. Yeah. So I I have to ask you though, Michael. Mm-hmm. What were some of your favorite moments from the show? Um, I was thinking about this, and I think one of my well, I can think of two moments actually. One is an episode; the other one's a moment. Yeah. I like the moment where he basically goes out hiking. I mean, Cisco and Jake go out hiking with uh, Quark and Nog. Yeah, yeah. And Quark has hates being outside, and he's just like, like they're they're on this new planet. This is what Starfleet's all about, right? They're exploring this new planet. Yeah. They're out there in this alien wilderness, and Quark is constantly, you know, oh my gosh, I'm getting bitten by alien mosquitoes or whatever. Yeah. And then uh, Cisco's like, can you believe this? Like, so you have this kind of dichotomy of Cisco representing the best of humanity in Starfleet and Quark being like, oh, this sort of uncivil alien. Yeah. And then Quark just goes into a monologue about how humanity is pretty terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and how Starfleet's not as great as you might think. And I, and I, for me, that was a standout moment of the series. And I think it really represents yeah. a lot of what DS9's about. The other is, um, the episode that's really stayed with me is, I can't remember the name of it, which is terrible, but it's, it's a real science fiction episode where Cisco gets uh, stuck in time, basically, and then he's just sort of floating yeah, yeah. in and out, and it's all about his relationship with Jake, and Jake, played by a much older actor. Yeah. Um, it's a, oh, the visitor. A vi- the visitor. Yeah. Oh my gosh. See, I'm gonna be terrible. We're gonna play trivia later on. I'm gonna be terrible because my brain's terrible with remembering details. But it's an amazing episode, and I think it really shows uh, Cisco's strengths as a father, and and the relationship between Cisco and Jake was so strong, and over this entire series. Yeah. But like, what about you? What are the moments that you really remember about this show? I don't know if I have a ton. But I think one of the ones that I think about, I think was really well done. I think a lot of the episodes with Kira were well done. And one of the ones that I still think about is, one of my favorites is when uh, she becomes that daughter to that Cardassian. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then the last scene, I still like kind of get sad, like tear up when I think about it. Uh, It is, I think it's so beautiful how... um, like she basically says that she'll be his daughter for her. Mm. And then of course the other episode that follows that one where their relationship gets complicated even further, where she basically says she doesn't want to be his daughter anymore because she knows the horrible things he's done. And, you know, and I think, I think that was the, the real power of deep space. Nine when it could, it could tackle these issues Mm. in, you know, in this science fiction dressing, but it still was really very emotionally powerful. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love that kind of stuff. You know, and I love, I love Star Trek The Next Generation for its wacky science fiction plots, but I overall didn't really love the science fiction-y plots in Deep Space Nine uh, as much, hmm. whereas I loved the, you know, kind of more relationship-based stuff. The as the s- starship, spaceship space station terms yeah (laughs) yeah that stuff i found more interesting it's it is interesting i mean um when i think of really strong science fiction concepts i'll think of tng more and even the original series more Mm -hmm. than i will ds9 
I mean, the the one that I was referring to, the visitor, with, with the, that's like an unusual episode. Yeah. Within within DS Nine. Yeah, because they're not doing a lot. They're not doing a lot of space exploration, so mm -hmm. they're not encountering new things. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it is more about you know the individual moments and the character arcs and and like individual characters like Gal Dukat and and uh, Wayun and so on and so forth. It's 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 sort of more interest in politics, uh, like in, envisioning this this uh, frontier area, and then becoming you know the going to war with with this alien race through the wormhole. It's more about sort of empires uh, collapsing, right? Uh, than it is about straight up science fiction. Yeah, and it's about as you said earlier, it's about aliens, right? And mm -hmm. looking at humanity through the the silly dress of these aliens and, mm -hmm. and sometimes the aliens are a little bit cartoonish but that cartoonish lens can help us really understand and and pinpoint certain aspects of humanity that are also cartoonish or silly and and you can look at them in a more interesting way and i think some of the more powerful mm -hmm. or interesting interactions are always the ones where there's two aliens interacting with one another and the and it's strange and bizarre in its own way. I remember that episode where Quirk is buying arms from a Vulcan and the Vulcan is acting in her own particular way and Quirk is acting in his and it's an interesting marriage of the two. Mm -hmm. um, you know, ideas of, of how characters or people could exist. You mm. know? So yeah, um, speaking of characters, are there any particular characters that you love or mm. that you would... I th um, I think the, uh, as the best. Yeah, like I think. Well, I, I actually think Cisco is a really great character. By the mm -hmm. end of it, Quark is amazing. Yeah, I think they did an amazing job with Quark. Yeah. Um, and the relationship. No, it's not Bashir and O'Brien. For me, one of the best relationships in this was Jitsia and Worf. I yeah. loved seeing them together. I loved every episode yeah. with Jitsia and Worf together. I loved their wedding. I yeah. loved everything. It yeah. was great. I, I'm really happy that they made that decision to bring them together. And and you know what? I think DS9 really knew how to, to use Worf very well. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm very happy for that. Yeah, and it's too bad that... Although, as we said, we're, we're defenders of Nicole DeBoer and... Uh, yeah, Ezra no, I, as a I, character. Ezra's great. Yeah. But the... She, Introducing her what disrupted all the chemistry and and as you said it robbed us of that Worf Jadzia relationship mm -hmm. and it really helped bring out you know some of the Jadzia before Worf I mean they kind of had been developing her character a bit but before Worf she had just been the perfect person mm -hmm. and with Worf she became more of a you saw her flaws more clearly. She was she was a bit lazy. She was <laughs> like someone who was a little inconsiderate at times. Yeah. She was yeah. she was a little headstrong. She refused to do what other people were saying she should do, you know. She couldn't bite her tongue when it was appropriate and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So there was it became clearer when she was with Worf and and yeah, and it and it was sad to see her go because it left Worf with not a lot to do and mm -hmm. so, yeah. 
Uh, what about you? Were, th- were there any kind of secondary characters that really stood out for you? Well, I mean, I've always loved uh, Garrick. That, he was one of yeah. my favorites all the way through. And, you know, and, and Gul Dukat as well. I think those were, have always been my two favorite characters in Deep Space Nine. Do you feel, do, do, do you feel, do you still find Gul Dukat super sexy? No, no, no. You, fa- you find him less, se- like, less sexy now than he did when you were watching He's probably it. more sexy as a Cardassian than when, you know, in his, um, yeah. his Bajoran look. It's not, it's not as good. Mm. And, no, and... I it's about his authority you know he has and uh, he has a great voice and he has he can really project his authority through his voice and his and his smile um and oh and uh Kai Wynn you know the first time I saw Deep Space Nine I hated her and now I just delight in how much of an awful person she is yeah and, she's a great character yeah she's a great villain uh so yeah once again she's wonderful I love Wayun, you know. Mm. I love the female changeling. I think they're all amazing. The female changeling is just one of the meanest people that like one of the meanest characters that's ever been she's on Star Trek. She's a good Trek. villain, yeah. Yeah. Like almost worse than the Borg Queen, you know. She's just so like she she just doesn't even care about anything, you know. Um and and yeah, and and these characters really made the show mm-hmm. you don't have that many secondary characters on you know uh next generation or voyager just because the limitations of those particular shows because they're constantly moving so you can't get to know yeah. certain characters very well like you can't have a character like kai win who's there for the entire seven seasons who is not a major character so yeah no i mean the secondary characters are what made the show um I don't know, like, do you have any final thoughts before we move on to trivia? I don't think I do. I think all I want to say is, yeah, it was a great experience uh, reviewing all these episodes with you, Michael. It's been two years. Two years, wow. I know, and uh, it's been wonderful. It's been, I've learned a lot, not just about Deep Space Nine, but about, you know, stories and what I want from stories, and it's made me think more deeply about what I want from science fiction Mm -hmm. and... You know, and and just generally what I think makes a good episode or a good show. Yeah. And I think that's been very helpful for me. How about you? Uh, I will completely echo your thoughts. I, I really... It was interesting to think deeply about a show, especially one that goes on for seven seasons. And, yeah. You know... The... And, and one that's not really like... There isn't a can- canonical, mm. you know, thought about it. It's not like watching The Wire and everyone's like, oh, my God, it's amazing, everything. Like, this is one where there's more freedom to talk about it and kind of pick it apart and say this is good or this is bad. And I think it's more interesting in some ways than, mm. than a show like The Wire. So I have in front of me a trivia game. It's Star Trek Trivial Pursuit. This game is insanely difficult because I'm dumb with trivia. Yeah. Um, I have a stack of... Uh, questions specific to Deep Space Nine so yeah. we can quiz each other and see how well we did. I don't know how to do this. Like, I guess I well, can pick up a card. I'll pick up a random card and, yeah. and you can choose what subject. Okay. Do you want to do it that way? Or you can just choose a random question. Just choose whichever oh question you want. No, no, I'm not going to do that to you because that's mean. Alright, this is totally random. Oh, these aren't, these aren't actually as difficult as I thought. Um, all right. What Ferengi game of chance resembled an Earth-style roulette wheel? Oh, Dabo. Correct. Yeah. I was like, for a second there, I didn't, I was having difficulty with the... 
Um, Give me an easy one. Go easy on me. Well, that is a hard one. Not a hard one. <laughs> okay. What stellar phenomenon was located near Deep Space Nine? The wormhole? Yes. That was the answer. Do you want the harder one? Yeah, yeah. Give me the hard one. What ship was Commander Sisko assigned to during the Battle of Wolf 359? Oh, I don't... I have no idea. USS Saratoga. Oh my gosh. I would not have gone that. No. That was pretty hard. Compared to the Bajoran wormhole? Well, like, these... Like, what was the Ferengi proprietor of, of the bar on Deep Space Nine? I mean, like, some of these are easy. Yeah, that, that's like, have you watched the show before? That, that, that one I just gave you, that's like, did you watch the first episode really closely? <laughs> oh, but then it gets insanely hard. Which enemy did Dax and the three Klingon warriors, Kang, Kor, and Koloth, swear a blood oath to kill? Uh, was it... The albino. Yes, you are correct. Yeah. Very well done. Very impressive. Um, what episode celebrated the 30th anniversary of Star Trek by having the Deep Space Nine crew visit the Kirk era Enterprise? Oh, it was the Tribbles one. Do you and remember the, the Do name I know it? the name? The Trouble with Tribbles. So it was the original. So it was probably something like. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, it was Trials and Tribulations. Trials and Tribulations. Great yeah. name. Great name. Um, okay, I will ask you an insanely difficult one. Okay. Which of Dax's joint hosts was a gymnast and once met Dr. Leonard McCoy? Uh, was it Emily? Oh my gosh, you're good at this. <laughs> <laughs> you're really good at this. <laughs> Um, what did Bashir mistake a pre-ganglionic fiber for during his Starfleet medical Oh my finals? gosh, he keeps mentioning this. I don't yeah. know. I don't remember. A post-ganglionic nerve. Yeah. Very nicely done. Well, I Look, suck at this. I'm going to give you one more. Hmm. Oh, here, uh, this one is good. Where did Odo's name come from? Oh, it was, uh... Odo's name, the scientist, was basically said unidentifiable. Yeah, it was, I think, unidentified substance. Unidentified unknown substance. Unknown sample. All right, one more. Um, oh, this one you'll like. What earth water feature were runabouts named after? Rivers. Correct. All the runabouts in Deep Space Nine were named after rivers, yes. which is kind of nice. That's That's correct. That's... That was pretty easy, Michael. All right, well, then I'll give you a hard one. <laughs> Which docking pylon on Deep Space Nine oh, had an oh, especially good view of the Bajoran warm hole? Okay, hole? I don't know that one. Like, six? Upper pylon two. There we go. Stump me on the last one. <laughs> Otherwise, three out of four. You did very well. Very yes. well. Congratulations. Well, Michael, uh, cheers uh, cheersing our Ractagino and root beer to... I'm, I'm moving on to Romulan Ale. Yeah. And I don't know, I might go, I might go sober. I might get some Synthahol. <laughs> you can apparently still get drunk on it. I don't really understand. Oh, yeah. should, should we discuss our next project? I think we still need to iron out some details. So oh, we'll be, okay. uh, we'll be quiet on it. But, right. uh, 
We will be back next week. We, next week? What? I we clearly have not talked about this properly. We'll, we'll be back in a few weeks. Okay, we're gonna take. I, a little I'm, bit of a... I'm going to uh, rise think, up. I'm going to rise up. Yeah. A bit. yeah. Yeah. I hope the weather system is functioning correctly on Riza and that you get uh, sunshine and... Damn you, Worf. And sunshine and, and Vanessa Williams in a silver <laughs> bikini. Me too. <laughs> she can still be like... She doesn't have to be the age she was in the 90s. Yeah. She'd still look fantastic now. You know? We will come back in like a few weeks, let's say. Okay. Let's give us let's give us some time and and on our social media perhaps we will announce our yeah because we're next so, we're so wonderful at yeah we're funny. really good and we also apologize for our listeners for not responding more on social media <laughs> and we and when we say we I say Matthew because that was his job <laughs> anywho uh, so yes once again if you do want to email us you you can at rrds nine podcast at gmail dot com and. Uh, you can contact us over Twitter. I will try to uh, respond to tweets. Once again, thanks for listening and have a great week. <laughs>